On the show today, I want to introduce you to Jessica Schwartz, uh, just a remarkable PT in the world of uh, concussion advocacy and education. As a brain injury survivor and founder of Concussion Corner Academy, she brings a unique and profound perspective on the nuances of concussion care. She lets us know just really how far we've come in concussion care, which, spoiler alert, um, has been pretty far in just a short amount of time. Uh, want to ask if you would look to add uh, 290 bucks per patient per quarter with Physiotech's remote therapeutic monitoring. Of course you would. Enhance patient outcomes, ease provider workload, and turbocharge your earnings with Physiotech. Check them out online at physiotech.ca. That's physiotec.ca. And where's your PT license, well, taking you? Embark on extraordinary patient care adventures with Jackson Therapy Partners online at jacksontherapy.com. Discover where your skills can take you. And that thing that you interact with dozens, hundreds of times a day or a year is your EMR. MW Therapy's all-in-one outpatient PT EMR let you experience seamless integration of patient portals, marketing automations, and billing, all at an unbeatable value that you deserve. Switching is a breeze at mwtherapy.com. Welcome to the show. Uh, today, we're joined by a physical therapist, brain injury survivor, and concussion care. I'm going to say trailblazer. We'll see if she likes that word as we attach it to that. Uh, get ready to explore the depths of concussion, concussion management, and advocacy with Jessica Schwartz. Jessica, welcome to the program. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Uh, the goal today is to learn more about concussion. I feel like I was, ex I was very excited about this when I was in PT school. Um, and I think I was excited about it in PT school because I graduated in 2016 and that seemed to be a time when like that was a focus in our profession, like things, things were happening. And as we know, there's like news cycles, something pops up, it's the it thing for like a hot minute or maybe longer. And then it cycles out. But I feel like 2015, 2016, that was the thing, but I didn't know any better cause I was just in PT school, but I was like, this is the big thing. Let's latch on to this. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I actually helped write some of the concussion playbook for APTA in 2017. Um, and just thinking back to when I was in PT school, so like 06, uh, finished up in 10. And uh, we had one paragraph. Wow. We had one paragraph in our neurological rehab book, uh, over a thousand pages in that in that um, one, textbook. One paragraph was for concussion. One paragraph, brother. So let's talk about it because so much has happened since and then. And now there's books, courses, people are learning, people are understanding that we're a great profession to that is poised and positioned well to help people living with concussion. But let's let's start a little macro, then we'll go a little more micro. So let's sure. talk about prevalence. So how many of these people are there? Like, so help us like kind of like a good frame of reference, prevalence and concussion, and then how are most people sustaining these injuries? Sure. It's a great question. And there's a, a bunch of like, I don't knows. And so one of the big thing is I'll give you numbers, I promise, but um, it's kind of like COVID, right? So, and you know, not to, to bring people down with pandemic talk, but I think it's relevant and necessary. So it's like, what are the real numbers, right? So if people aren't going in for testing, if people aren't going in or reporting, you know, what are those numbers? So right now the numbers have been pretty similar for like the last decade of 3.8 million United States in the US at least. Uh, people suffer concussion, MTBI, um, and concussion. So, but what does that really mean? Because most people don't really get seek out care for that either. So is that 3.8, you know, what is that? So in my view, I'm going to say that's, we probably have more sure. than that. Um, yeah. An NPR study, really good study um, in the last decade, about one in four adults, and we see about one in five kids. Really? So, so, really? Much, so more adults than yeah. kids? Yes. Because I went ice skating over Christmas break and I saw what could have been a lot of concussions, not like, yeah. it's really, it was, it, so I, I had this, this episode in mind and I'm skating mm -hmm. at the local skating rink and I play beer league men's hockey. Okay. You cannot yeah. walk on the ice in beer league men's hockey without a helmet on. Can't do it. Like the refs would be like, get off the ice, even in warmups, not, you can't do it. And the funny thing is, and then 200 people there and keep in mind guys who play beer league hockey, they're old like me. But we've mm -hmm. played competitively before. So like us falling is a probability, but less than the maybe average person, right? You go to open skate on a Tuesday for 10 bucks. There's 200 people with varying degrees of, of skating ability, two helmets. Yeah. Well, uh, 2015, uh, there was zero five-star rated hockey helmets, 2015. So we cover 60% of the body plus in hockey. Uh, head was like, eh. 
we'll we'll see it later. Right. So uh, we've got five star rated hockey helmets now. Uh, they have nothing to do with price. Um, Virginia Tech. We can give you some links for the podcast. Um, yeah, they they rate them. Basically, a PhD student will study a helmet for their dissertation, wow. uh, and they put it through like 1990s crash test dummy style, uh, and they have the same kind of algorithm, but very complex biomechanics. But uh, so they rate them, and so 2015 zero five star rated hockey helmets, um, including for NHL players. So I don't want to say forget the peds, forget the kids, right. but these are professional players that you know are can have like thousand dollar helmets and actually the some of the most expensive helmets were were zero star wow. rated it's yeah, not even three star. it's funny you mention that because uh you know when you play a piece of equipment especially like a helmet which doesn't necessarily wear out very often like gloves and stuff will wear out and you have to replace those helmets become really personal my brother just said oh yeah i think this thing's duct tape and and hopes and dreams holding this thing together but he's like i'll get a new one so it's so fire those over i would love to share them because you're so yeah. hold on a second. So you're saying the ones with the highest ratings aren't necessarily the most expensive. Correct. You can get a good helmet for five star rated helmet for like under a hundred dollars, and that's really important to connect to for both fo uh, for football, youth football, cycling, mountain biking, whitewater rafting. Because you know how uh, we're making the decisions now, right? What what yeah, others yeah. what other guy is wearing that looks good? What's rated best on Amazon or what's the lowest price in the store? Like that's exactly. a scientific review. Yes, but there is scientific evidence for what are the best uh, hockey helmets or, or any helmets right now, um, including some soccer sensors and things like that um, over at Virginia Tech. So, so that's their um, thing. They're like every they, they they have taken it upon themselves to sort of do this 90s crash test uh, dummy style. And I mean, a full, like that's your person's Ph.D. When they come uh, to Virginia Tech, that is like they're signing up for their Ph.D. Um, so this, like, this is my helmet. So, uh, and Stefan Duma does that. And we're very fortunate over at my podcast that they are, that as our disclosure, they're our, our, um, sponsor. Um, but you know, we've got to make sure we're not dipping our toes in, in a pond where we can have, you know, conflicts of interest. So sure. they're a super safe space to be. That's cool. Okay. I, I'm already good with this podcast. We could stop right now. And I already feel like we've got value out of it. Um, cool. but you mentioned 2017, as yeah. as an important year, right? So in 2017, concussion care really took a pivotal turn. What's your perspective on on 2017 and now record? Now you know you mentioned a paragraph out of a thousand pages, but now what's your perspective on where we are recognizing concussion as a rehabilitative condition, not just something that's happening and it's all we don't know where it is. Sure thing. So I'll take you a few years back and we'll work up to 2017, and then really 2024. Now it's nuts uh, that we're here already, but you know 20. 04, uh, or I should say 2008, we stopped grading concussion. We stopped grading mild traumatic brain injury. So there's no severe concussion, mild concussion. It's kind of like diarrhea or pregnancy. We're going to take it across that spectrum. But people remember those things. Like, I, you don't have a mild case of diarrhea and you surely don't have a mild case of pregnancy. Right. That sticks with you. So, and it's memorable, right? right? So we define in 2024 still to this day that uh, concussion and MTBR are traumatic brain injuries. Okay. So that's number one. So those are very real things. Uh, number two. So we had 08, we stopped um, grading them, grading concussion at the time of injury. Okay. We still grade traumatic brain injury, mild, moderate, and severe, but we do not grade concussion at the time of injury. And that's very, very important because you're going to set your patients up for success or your family up for, um, for failure really of like, oh, this is just a mild concussion. Okay. So it's bottom line, it's a brain injury. So that's 08. 2012, we first started calling the cervical spine. We started including the cervical spine um, in the concussive uh, literature internationally in terms of consensus statements. So this like whole autonomic, you know, peripheral central nervous system thing, oh, there's connected, this stick that connects mm -hmm. the rest of the body to make it function, okay? So 2012, we started talking about the cervical spine. I don't know about you, but physios are a good uh, profession to have there, uh, talking uh, rehabbing and talking C-spine. Then 2016, 2017, we first called this injury rehabilitative in, 20, in the 2017 publication of the International Consensus Statement done by BJSM every four years. It's like, you know, like the Olympics or World Cup. Right. So what that means is that, you know, we've just identified that this is a rehabilitative injury. Therefore, we can do something with this. But then we go kind of like Jamie Foxx it and we kind of like, er, we just back up and we're like, wait a second. We've been PTs. We've been physios. We've been rehabilitation aides for over a century for a hundred years now in this country back in World War One, what were we doing? 
We're rocking traumatic brain injury patients in the actual trenches, getting them up and moving. Um, and in absence of evidence, what we do to feel safe, really from a legal standpoint, is we tell patients when we don't know what to do with something in medicine, we tell them to rest. Right. We've seen it in ACL. We've seen it with MS. We've seen it with low back pain. And we know that's like the opposite. We take this oath to do no harm. But it's like, oh, wait a second. There's something we can actively do. We can actively rehabilitate these folks. They're not malingering or faking it or making it up because because the some literature, again, always a place to build up, never tear down. But historically, the literature has been on the legal side of things, the medical legal side of things, really trying to prove closed head injury MTBI patients to be faking it. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. These folks cannot negotiate into their spaces. So I'll plant those seeds there. But 2017, yeah, first year we call it rehabilitative. So how does that feel? Someone, we'll get into what you do and we'll talk about um, uh, the, the, the podcast and the resources that you produce. How does it feel now knowing that there was a paragraph in a book of a thousand pages and now there are books that are more than a thousand pages just on this? Yeah. So there's not books more than a thousand pages on this. We actually have over 43 working definitions of con of concussion in 2024. Uh, only one of them, maybe two of them now are evidence-based. That's it. So we actually don't even have any consensus on what a concussion is um, at the end of the day. So um, that's kind of where it lies is that there's just so much misinformation out there. And the what's interesting from a, a an ego, a cockiness standpoint, an EQ, IQ standpoint in this um, realm is that there's a lot of perceived competence, mm -hmm. perceived competence in this area. Because why? People play beer league hockey. They've watched the concussion movie. They watch ESPN. They watch football. They watch soccer, depending on what country you're in. And they have this perceived competence like, oh, I got my quote unquote bell rung when I was a kid, I got back up and went back out there. But in essence, it's like, I say, it's like, if you're diagnosed with cancer, you know, you're not, you're going to go to the oncologist, right. but with concussion, there's infinite ports of entry to access to care. And therefore those infinite points of entry to access potentially lead to a mismanagement of patient care. Um, because folks don't, don't know. And again, we know it's eight to 17 years to get folks up to speed on, you know, knowledge translation from classroom to clinic. So you can tell that there's a need for more consensus. That's what I feel like I'm taking from you. A need for, well, the consensus is getting there. We just started doing some systematic reviews in 2016, 2017. So the consensus is getting there. The absence of evidence, it's kind of like very Dunning-Kruger-esque. You have to know what you're looking at so you know what you're looking for. And again, like a lot of the publications that were published from like NCAA and it's tremendous humans, Mike McRae and Steve Brolio, that were doing this research in 2002, 2003, you know, they were saying, you know, return to sport in seven days. Well, the only reason that happened was there was no evidence behind it. It was Friday night football. So they were using time. And we the number one thing, if anyone gets out of here, besides validating the patient symptom profile, is number 1.1 is making sure that we're not returning people with a brain injury based off of time. I mean, you have to do comprehensive and targeted physical examinations on these folks to be able to identify what's going on somatically, cognitively, behaviorally, what, what have you, sleep-wise, and then be able to identify that and or, or treat it discharge it or refer it out. I mean, it's that simple, but to make something as complex as the brain, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I was, that, that always struck me too, which is, is those two words together with, well, the three words, mild, traumatic, and brain. And yeah. I'm like, uh, that feels wrong. Yeah. It's like mild and traumatic. I'm like, that feels like an oxymoron. Then you throw brain in there and you feel, I feel like anything with the brain is serious because the word serious wasn't in there. Right. So traumatic was, and we understand that there's different severities of traffic, but why is everything just mild? traumatic. It just never sat yeah. right with me. Well, what also doesn't sit right is that, I, and I think this should be redefined, is that mild is also zero to 29 minutes of loss of consciousness. Wow. I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen anybody knocked out for 28 and a half minutes, but that no. seems pretty significant. When someone's knocked out for one minute, everybody in the room, your heart stops. I mean, one it minute is a, is a long time. Although we do see that to be somewhat neuroprotective, just as an FYI, in terms of persistent symptom, but it's it's stressful to everybody. Wow. So, so what, zero to how many minutes is mild still? Zero to 29. Wow. So you cross over to moderate at 30. We've been talking for 14 minutes. Yeah. We, so someone could have been unconscious for that long and that's still considered mild. And double it. Wow. Wow. I, had, I didn't know that. Welcome. Welcome, oh. brother. One new thing a day. You got it. No, that's what I aim for. So I better pack it in. Um, well, let's talk about you. 
um, as somebody who's a physical therapist, somebody who's living with persistent post-concussive s- symptoms, how has this influenced your approach to treatment and care and the situation, concussion as a whole? I mean, you've, you've made it your, your life. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I was one of the first, we were, we were the first six orthopedic residents, uh, in New York city to go through residency in 2010. Um, had a blast doing it and made lifelong friends with co-residents. There were six of us at NYU. We were really like leaned in bunch. And then I think NYU realized that not everyone's like us and hungry and excited. And so now I think they take two a year. (laughs) Um, but you know, just loving the field, loving the profession, played sports growing up, um, had a bunch of concussions, which is why I'm going into this, uh, growing up as a kid. Um, and essentially I got hit by a car, uh, in 2013 by an unlicensed driver on 12th street between fifth and sixth Ave. I was working a dream job Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I was on my off days seeing some clients on the side cause I was, uh, worked at crunch prior and I was doing personal training forever. And, um, yeah, I got a new iPhone, was at a light, went to go plug it in um at a red light and just got walloped um by an unlicensed driver from behind and really confusing to be stopped and then have motion uh airbags didn't deploy so i was definitely like immediately angry like like angry ire like really furious i unbuckled my seatbelt, got out of the car and it was immediately dizzy which is a sign that we pay attention to with concussion um and or a symptom so Turned out, uh, ended up going to the emergency room. What I thought was just a concussion turned out to be 10 to 14 uh, hours of rehab a week for 14 months. Um, And the week I got hit, I was promoted to junior partner um, at my company, which was a dream job. And I still refer people over there to this day. Uh, Went back and couldn't handle the LED lights. I live with a vision handicap. I live with dysautonomia, um, you know, so which is a heart thing. And uh, fatigue, neuro fatigue. So... um, yeah, I tend to book heavy things like this earlier in the day. I tend to fatigue out middle later in the day. And um, I was like, when I was going through the rehab, it was fascinating because I was at a good place. When I finally got to the right place, I was in a good spot, right? But then I was like, there's so much gray because I was supposed to go back to work, return to work on May 5th, 2014, five, five. So it was Cinco de Mayo. I was like, oh, great. We're going to Cinco de Mayo on the way back to work. Everyone's like, oh, we're so excited what did we do? We did a return to work plan, which was six months from the date of October 3rd, 2013, based off of insurance, not based off of any functional rehab where my functional gains were. I couldn't read. I was doing, I was, I was getting oscillopsia, um, reading. It was a big problem. (laughs) And I had dysautonomia. So, you know, how did we get here? So when I was doing all this recovery, it was just like, Hey, there we've got to believe patients. I was believed people figured out what was going on with me. We were rehabbing it back. I was a good soldier showing up to all this rehab with this tremendous team, neuropsychologists, social workers, uh, OT, PT speech. Uh, I did it all. Um, and it was like, okay, how do we translate this to people who need to know it, which are rehab providers and healthcare providers? Um, there's folks that are in their lane, right? You know, the Chris Nowinski's are in the return to sport. They get the brains, they analyze them, they look for CTE. Okay, cool, great. There's folks that talk to athletes, talk to researchers. Um, so it's just, I just kept showing up for myself and getting on social media and putting the word out there and just kind of networking. And then I started a podcast called Concussion Corner and that podcast turned into an academy uh, during COVID. Um, And we launched that January of 2022. So we're um, like two years into it and, and super stoked. What do you like about doing a podcast? Um, I love learning from others and I love being able to spread their work yeah. to tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands soon. So Great. um yeah. I mean, cause again, we know eight to 17 years, you know, they're writing, they're like screaming into the wind and no one's reading their stuff. So it's like, how do we get this out there quicker? So what, that's what do my you job. think is, is so there's no, there's, there's going to be no silver bullet, right? There's nothing that's going to take it from showing that glass again. Cause great product placement. Do that again. There you go. That's smart. You're like, Oh, I'm just taking, there we I go. gotta get me some of those. We got some choose PT as well on the back. So um, yeah. What, there's, there's going to be no one thing, in my opinion, that takes the gap. And you're talking about published research to being used in the clinic, right? So there's this big, and I hate using this, but there's the, the gap, this big, we have to close the gap, closing the gap, minding yeah. the gap. Um, but are things like podcasts going to help that? I mean, I think there, I think there needs to be a multi-pronged 
uh, attack. And it, it can't be coordinated by any one organization. But what are some other things that you've seen doing this even for two years? Yeah, so that's a way to set me up on the T there. Um, we've got to meet the people where they are. So if they're super young, they're on TikTok, they're on Instagram, they're doing their thing. Um, if they're a little older, they're on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook and things like that. So we have to make sure we're meeting people where they are and dosing content to them that is, you know, accessible and makes them want to learn because there's an infinite amount, like attention is our, is our most valuable resource, right? So everything's vying for our attention. My brain cells at four o'clock, they're like, okay, I need a break. Let's go for a walk. Let's do some exercise. Let's tap out. You know, um, the scroll on a feed, you know, your Apple watch, your Fitbit, your phone, everything's vying for your attention. You know, the crazy guy on the subway, on the four train, you know, we all know who he is. Um, everyone's vying for our attention, but you know, we have an inf a, a, a finite amount of decisions, you know, if you think of Simon Sinek from an infinite to finite. And so if we have a finite amount of decisions and we have to know kind of how full our bucket is, if someone like me who gets neurofatigue, I may have less, you know, decisions in the day. So therefore I wear black every day to work and I don't have to make decisions. I put my clothes out before, um, you know, how do we get to folks? And I really think that's through social media uh, and through basically motivating people to wanting to learn. So how do we make people want to lean in and come into the into the field? And essentially, my motto over at the podcast and the academy is teach one, serve many. So it's like, if, hey, if we can grab you and you can touch 100 to 1,000 people per and then spread that out through your community, hopefully we can get that going like on an international movement because um, it's the same. It's the only you way. Know, it, you, you can't scale. You used to be able to back in the... 70s and 80s because you could just buy ads on the only three tv stations there were yeah. right and you could afford it but you can't do that now yeah and it's interesting to kind of see media i know you're a media guy you know to see media um kind of adapt slowly but adapt yeah. so even like i'm a david muir chick you know he's an ithaca alum i watch david muir like i'm 88 years old that's you know at 6 30 p.m or i dvr it but then there's Lindsay um dwyer i think her name or dryer and she actually is doing the the abc news in parallel to him at seven on streaming because we know a lot of people are cutting the cord. So again, you have to be able to adapt to meet people where they I, are. I sit with people and I say, so the only thing I would disagree, not disagree with you, but the only thing I would change about what you said before about meeting people and social media, the only thing I change is I, I, I take the two words, social media, and I change them. You need to create media mm -hmm. that is social. That's yeah. it. Absolutely. And engaging. Absolutely. I, and you do a good job of that. Well, thank you. But, but and, and someone asked me a long time ago and they said, and this is again, when I first launched my podcast, which by the way was a goof, which by the way was completely self-serving. I wanted mm -hmm. to do what you said, which was I wanted to learn from other people. I was a PT student. Someone, someone commended me once in public and said, thanks so much for taking your, uh, stepping out of your comfort zone. And I was like, I want to stop you. This is my comfort zone. I didn't step yeah. out of it. I wore it like a hamster bubble. And then I got to walk around this thing that I was uncomfortable in, but I was holding a microphone. So it was like my binky. Um, and the cool part is, why I think what you do and what many other people are doing is someone asked me like, who's your competition? And I go, Oh, you're looking at it differently. I look at it like swimming. We're just all race. We're all just, it's, it's attention. It's the clock. We're just touching walls. That's all we're doing. So I'm like mm -hmm. in swimming, you can't, you're not allowed to just jump in someone else's lane and dunk them. You can't like grab on their ankle. That's not allowed. And I think <laughs> that's, it's also not possible to do with this. Like this is conversation at scale. It should be anyway. That's, that's the way I like to look at it. Absolutely. And I don't look at it as competition, but I look at it as there's kind of like, I want to say two nefarious players out in the game. And and quite frankly, they were, they're two chiropractic um, education. And I, and again, I don't, this is always a place to build up, never a place to tear down. However, I can tell you that I've had four patients come to me who have remortgaged their homes based off this chiropractic yeah. uh, concussion rehab that they're calling it. And they're $10,000 plus a week. Everyone in the clinic is wearing a white coat, including the janitor in the front desk. So it's very, um, yeah. it's, it's a, we take an oath to do no harm. And I, I don't look at this as being an okay space. So, which is why I reached out cold called all of the people who are essentially writing the international documents and for American Academy of Pediatrics, the BJSM article and so on, um, American Physical Therapy Association. And I said, like, I've got this idea. I've got no bankroll. We're going to try and get grants. We're going to try and figure it out later, but I'm going to build it and they're going to see who comes. Um, because we know that there's no other interdisciplinary programming in the world out there other than concussion corner. So, yeah, well, you bring up a good point. Well, someone would say, and this, and obviously like I have, uh, like an ax to grind with this, which is like, well, the media, and I usually say, hang on a second. Do you have a Facebook account? Yeah. Twitter, sure LinkedIn, like, so you're part of the media. So whenever you say the media, 
But I like to break it down. So like you're, 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 and I, we don't have to mention who these people are, but you can yeah. use this thing, these tools, these platforms for good or evil. In my opinion, media is neither good nor evil. It is useful if used usefully and it's the opposite of and evil if it if it's used for evil. Um, and I work with big organizations like the Foundation for PT Research or you know various APTA sections in academies. And I try to explain that because a lot of people will say, so-and-so was bashing so-and-so. What are we going to do about it? And I said, you literally got only one choice. And I go back to the swimming analogy. I said, get in the pool and start swimming. Yeah. So I created my own lane. That's right. it. I just, I just made my own lane. I didn't, I looked around. I was like, it doesn't exist. Let's make it. And I just started plowing and digging and that's what we're doing. And we're just trying to do it one day at a time. So it really, you really can just create and, 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 and make sure that people, I mean, the really only way to drown it out with the sea of good information. I mean, really that's it. You can't just, there's no, right. there's no ma, you know, there's no whistle that you can blow and have the cops come. There's kind of no, I mean, unless some people egregiously but then it's all these organizations and stuff. But people, I mean, look at like some of the really big, and I don't want to mention who some of these people out, outside of, of medicine, but there are these big social media accounts that get banned from a platform and they get sued and brought into court and then they come back again. So again, I don't, I don't think the media is necessarily good nor bad. I think it's, I think it's good people. And I think it's bad people. It's loud people, not yeah. so not so loud people. Yeah. No, I had a I had a president of a major medical organization. We'll leave it alone. In 2016, at Georgetown, um, at the first uh, the world's first women in concussion TBI and PTSD conference, and you know he was like, well, why why are you doing this? He's like, why don't you bring this to American Academy of Neurology? Or why don't you bring this to the neuropsych? Side? And I was like, well, because that's not inclusive. And that was my answer. And I was like. I was like crap in my pants. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, but stayed measured, stay still, stay steady. And I was like, because that's not inclusive. We're, we need to educate interdisciplinary interdisciplinary professionals together. Right. You know, it's not, you know, and essentially, so I, from if you watch a, a great opening plenary from Lorelai Lingard, she talks about collective competency. And, you know, you can't, in individual and collective competence are two different things. And, you know, again, it's like with diabetes management or concussion management, you can't just treat the neck. You can't just treat the sleep issue. You can't just treat the headache or migraine or post-traumatic headache. You have to treat intercollectively. Yeah. Um, so it's like, how do we take ego out of it? And how do we identify early? And how do we work together? Here's what I can do as physio. Here's what you can do as an OT. Here's how we can treat together. Shabbat shalom. Keep it moving. Yeah. yeah, I'm learning a lot of this now. My dad had a stroke about five, six months ago. And like, you mm. just learn and you're like, oh, and like, I have a relatively decent amount of health literacy, right? Like I'm PT, right? Relative mm -hmm. again. But now you're learning this system and you're dealing with humans and you're dealing with health systems and physical and time constraints. And you realize quickly people can get super lost real easy. Yeah. And two, th oh, three things, right? So one thing is super loss is when someone's bi uh, neurologically not intact sure. or cognitively not intact. It's not a good time to try to find a healthcare provider yeah. if you have a concussion. Yeah. So it's why educating the communities and people around you of where to go when something like this happens. Number two, from a health literacy standpoint, when I was prescribed speech pathology, speech language pathology, I was like, all I knew about speech language pathology from my time as a PT was swallow studies, you know, and lisps. So I was like, why do I need PT? It's one of the most important rehab things that I did to get back because I was all I did was not stop talking, but I was getting lost in the middle of a sentence. I could have been in Kentucky, you know, so that that was going on. But I looked fine. Right. So you looked fine. But again, I was like totally like mid sentence, just crickets. Wow. And then from a health literacy standpoint, you know, we have to look at socioeconomic standpoint as well. So this is an issue that's the, that's no different. You know, I got I was very, very fortunate to host the Lee Steinberg um, concussion brain health summit at the Super Bowl in 2018. And that was wild. So that's probably like you're a media guy. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. I called Stefania Bell and I was like, what do I do? Like, because this was like a huge like Serena Williams are walking in. And I'm like, what's going on? So I got to do that. That was amazing. But what we're finding, and, and this is across the board, is whether you're on Medicaid in this country, in the United States, or if you're a five-time Super Bowl winner, you're having the same issue with getting mismanaged. So the mismanaged concussion patient is much more prevalent than well-cared-for one. So if you have a kid that's um, you know, young, black, and female in the South Bronx, and then you have a Super Bowl player or a USTA tennis player that's number five in the world, very similar issues with um, getting rehabbed pr properly um, because they're just getting mismanaged by people that don't know. Again, infinite ports of entry to access of care. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a future question then. What solutions do you see coming? 
uh, and vision for addressing and solving the challenges that you're talking about in concussion management? What are the things that are going to, let's be optimistic, right? What are, what are the things you're looking forward to or wh which direction are we moving that maybe should excite you? I wholeheartedly believe that we're hundred percent just need to educate folks. We need to educate folks passionately. We need to then ed take that education, make sure that they're translating it. So we literally talk about next day knowledge translation every single day over at concussion corner Academy. And that's, that's it. So how do we, it, and we serve, we've served zero to th 34 years out folks that have been, and we've had eight professions in six countries. And it's like, okay, how do we facilitate this conversation across folks that have never treated concussion and then have been treating concussion for 30 years? Um, the good news is, is that it's constantly changing and evolving. And how can we make you much more efficient if you're 30 years out? Or how do we have you identify it early and, and, and do it properly from if you're zero years out? Um, but I really believe it's, it's education, um, and it just needs to be delivered passionately. So then therefore they want to go do the same thing and lean in and get riled up in their communities. Yeah. So going to school boards, going to domestic violence, intimate partner violence is a real thing. We had a big raise with strangulation issues and other, you know, closed head injuries, just for some context for your, your guests, um, or for your audience, I should say closed fist head injuries, you know, for a woman or a spouse that's um, in an intimate partner violence situation can be up to eight to 10 times per day. You know, if we look at NFL, you know, th th we can't even compare numbers like that. And that's every day, 365, you know, a year as opposed to 20 or 30 games per year. Um, so we want to make sure that we're educating folks on all aspects. It's not just sport. Falls are the number one cause of um, traumatic brain injury and concussion, you know, followed by um, you have slips and falls and just being hit by a random object. It's like how many people like are just distracted and walking and texting and walking into doorways or things like that. So um, car crashes, you know, and then we have contextual factors of like, OK, we have third party issues to deal with as well people losing their job, people losing that. So why would I want to show up and get dizzy at vestibular PT or have my neck worked on if I'm in pain? Um, so we have to be able to translate those messages across. But I'm really talking about just talking to healthcare providers, hospital systems, and clinics. And how do we get that out into the community? So you're focused on the organizations. Organizations and N of ones. So we're just talking about the people, the healthcare providers that can get the message out yeah. there. So you're trying um, yes. how to amp them up. In my opinion, you're going about it the right way in terms of um, talking to the people who are talking to the people who are talking to the people. Yes. And then, and then you also mentioned clear, like a clear message that is digestible and understandable because that's the only, because everything now is, will be the, will be the tell, uh, the telephone game, which remember from like, you know, elementary school, which is like, wait, I thought I heard this thing. It's like, no, I need to make sure you understand this clearly because this missing, misconstruing this could make things worse. Absolutely. My job is to make the complex injury of brain injury and concussion uncomplicated. So that's a better word. And that's a better way to see. All right. So I'm doing talk at CSM to researchers talk coming mm -hmm. for you researchers. And most people who know me be like, Jimmy has no business giving a presentation in research. Um, but my, my goal is I'm with a researcher and we're going to solve this. So you've like, I want to almost do it like in the style of um, uh, schoolhouse rocks. Like, like I'm just a bill. So it's like, so you've published a paper. Congratulations. Now you're done, except you're not because there's this gap of 17 years. But the question is, whose job is it to now sing from the rooftops? Because if I'm a researcher, I've published. I'm out there. Except you and I both know, and probably most of the people listening know, is the signal to noise ratio, which is everything you just talked about, right? I mean, I even flashed my watch a couple times. Now I'm noticing it because now I notice when my watch is on camera, I'm like, maybe get that off. Because attention is divided mm -hmm. Um, through how many things are being thrown at us. Like even if you're, li you're listening right now to this podcast and you're probably cleaning something or walking or helping the kid, it's rarely 100%. So I take exercise principles. So I'm given like, a, I'm like tipping my hand. So the fit VP principle, frequency, intensity, time, type, volume, and progression. And I'm like, that's mm -hmm. media. That's media. It, and exercise principles. Now I'm going to talk to them on their language and I'm going to go, great. Now, how are you doing this? Well, I'm not doing yeah. four of those six things. Great. So how why do you how do you expect this to spread? Well, it's got published. I'm like, well, people are never going to champion your work as hard, as passionately, and as clearly as you do it. So you can expect And that's where I struggle. Well, yeah. But struggling is good because it means you're trying. 
right? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit of an action potential. So right now, because of my fatigue, right? So right now we're building and designing everything. My partner is a graphic designer, 2D, 3D graphics, a website, everything. She can do it all. Um, so we're a super small team, but we look really mighty when you come into our school because we've got animations, we've got, yeah, you know, too. the whole thing. And so we're building content, but then I haven't spoken about it. So we've got 140 grads that have given us five-star reviews and are like blowing up all of our IRB studies. We do our IRB study with Becky Bliss uh, at Missouri. Um, And so we do pre and post self-efficacy on our students. And then we're getting like these crazy subjective five-star reviews from folks. I'm like, oh my God, I've been looking for this for years. I didn't know this existed. Thank you. But we're not talking about it because I'm building content. So that's the next step for us is we just have to start talking about it. In my opinion, you have a great problem to have. Because most it's people, a it's a you stress most, for sure. Most people are on the other. It's does it doesn't make it not a problem, but it's a good problem because it's very solvable. Because you have the thing. If I were coming in right now, I'd go, oh, this is a fun problem to solve because you are further along. I just start, I just took out another client helping them do media production in PT running. I can't say who it is yet, but they're big into running analysis and 3D and things I don't know about. And I'm like, oh, you and I keep saying, well, we need to prepare for this. And they're like, I've already done that. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get real fun because you get to move faster. Doesn't mean it's easy. It means it's simple Er, yeah. because you can steal. This is what I was taught in radio. Look at other people who you love. This is where like I get fun. I get I get like companies to sit down with their cell phone. I go for the next seven days. Your homework is anytime a post, a video, a podcast, a video, an animation grabs your attention, screenshot it. I don't even care why. And then we throw them on the board like a vision board. And I go, why'd that grab your attention? I don't know. I like the colors. Okay, good enough. Great. Yeah. Got. It. I like how that guy's voice sounded. Awesome. Great voice. Perfect. And then work backwards. And it's simple, but not easy. And this is where I also get, now you can tell them on my soapbox. I say PTs are perfectly poised to help people with concussion, low back pain, nerve, all these things. And then we get mad when people have those things, but don't call us. Well, communications people get mad too when you have all this potential and you're like, I can do it myself. And we're like, I, you can, I can help you do it faster and easier. And dare we say fun. So it's like this letting go of like, okay, I can ask for help. And it's actually not a weakness, it's a strength. Because you have absolutely that stuff you have needs to fly. You got yeah no, and and I and I say that wholeheartedly and from a super humble place. And I'm just like, people have jobs for a reason. People, the painter, the hairdresser, if the name is in the title, it's there. It's there for a reason, and it's there to be more efficient. And you know, if I'm if I'm valuing my time at two fifty an hour, then if I'm going to pay someone twenty to fifty, then that's absolutely worth it. So forget who that was, um, but it was one. It was the Simon Sinek or someone. It was like figure out your hourly rate, and if you're Someone is like, I got to fix my fence. It's like, well, I could do that, but I'm not doing the thing I'm getting paid for or the thing I'm actually working for, like the relaxation right. part of that. So, but if you, if you, so if you don't like it, so I'm learning this because I bought my first house two years ago and I am figuring out, thank you. And also, oh my God, why did no one tell me? But they do. Everybody who has a house is like, well, good luck with that. There goes your weekends. And some of the stuff I like and some of the stuff I don't. And I've been lucky enough to listen to people go like, is this worth it? And they're like, you could do that. And that'll take three weeks and you'll hate yourself when you're done. It's like, or pay someone 50 bucks an hour and walk away, man. Cause you have value. Like you, and, but that's hard to like, you know, I came from New York and you're a New Yorker. Like it's, it's a personality thing. We're like, nah, man, I'm going to do it myself. It's like, I'm not paying, you know? And I, I came from a family of like New York city firemen and nurses and you know, people who worked in the city. We're like, nah, I'm doing it myself. I'm not paying someone else to do that. But you had to let that, I had to let that, I'm still. That's old school. Old school. Yeah, it's hard to let that go. I remember like telling my dad that I hired someone to do something and he was like, we could have done that. And I was like, I know, but you were getting, you know, you're, I don't want you doing that. We can do the other, right. you know, meaningful, but not necessarily labor intensive stuff that we could do together. I, I used to be like that. And then I got a brain injury. <laughs> so I've, I really had to yeah. just re you know, re-adapt to say, is this worth my time and energy? And sure. it's not. So, you know, cause it's like, again, if my cup is only 50% full for that day, then it's like, okay, I have to allocate to these top three things. And if those get done, then I'm happy. Even if one of those things get done, I'm happy. Right. Um, but that's so. good perspective. Cause someone, again, I always, I have remember quotes, but can't remember who say them. Um, we overestimate, wait, it's we overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. Doing 10 years. Right. Yes. So if we just did one a day, we're like, well, that's not a lot. It's like, actually, but if you actually did that one thing a day, that's 365 things, that adds up over 10 years to a lot. Absolutely. So Absolutely. we multi Yeah, I watched a YouTuber that just gave that, Gabe Bolt. He's a good guy on YouTube. So just just heard the quote yesterday too, yeah. so that's why. 
I think it's probably this time of year too, because everybody resets, looks back, re-rack. We look forward as we record this the day after uh, New Year's Day. This is like hangover, yeah. hangover day. This is New Year's Day Eve. <laughs> it's like the day after. Um, all right. So uh, we do a thing on the show called Three Questions. Are you ready to do three questions? Yeah, let's rock and three roll. Questions. On the hot seat with three questions on the PT Pinecast. All right. Three questions brought to you by our friends at ATI. Uh, they are a clinical leader um, working with uh, more than 900 of their clinics, finishing with 100% in the merit-based incentive program. They have a team to join to expand your career. Find them online at ATIPT.com. First question, if you could turn any activity into an Olympic sport in which you would win a gold medal, what would it be? Any activity. So what are you so good at that it became a sport? You'd be like, I am a gold medal winner at this. It just It's not a sport, but it just became a, gold, uh, a sport, and you're going to win gold. What is it? Oh man, that's a hard question. Um, well, cycling's already there, so that's not there. Um, I would say like a New York City pizza tour. Oh. I would be exquisite at that, both in New York and Manhattan and Brooklyn. I would be good at that. All right, I lived around a corner from one of the best pizza places I'd ever had, and of course, like especially if it's in your neighborhood, it automatically becomes like so great. That's your jam. This was Freddie and Pepper's right across the street from the Beacon Theater, so you know, like it was good because like it also had like just traffic from the Beacon Theater having a bunch of shows. And it was also around the corner from one of the best cookies I'd ever had. And the only reason I knew about it was Taylor Swift. She like tweeted about this cookie place. And next thing you know, they're opening like six locations. The power of the tweet. Oh. See, that's the yeah. power of the media. No, the power of Taylor Swift. That's got to give her respect. Completely, <laughs> that's more powerful than the media. So so yeah. where's your place? You got to tip people off. Where If you're going to do the pizza tour at Gold Medal, where's, where are the places if someone's coming to New York that they have to go? Uh, that's a great question. So there's, but there's all sorts of types of pizzas there like is. pain, right? There's not, there's like lancinating, they're sharp, there's dull. Um, so for square pizza, I go to garlic on second Avenue between 33rd and 34th. Great, uh, pizza, Get just anything there is delicious. Um, man, for, Neapolitan style, thin crust stuff, numero 28 in the East Village. Got to get the numero 28 special. Um, it's absolutely delicious. And then, I don't know, of lately, like I fluctuate. But right now I'm digging, um, is it margarita? No, it's uh, marinara. Marinara pizza on 10th and 2nd is my jam for right now. But that the, the, the sliced pizza can fluctuate. Yeah, I expect these to all blow up now with the power of Jess and her suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go. Second question of three questions. Reflecting on your journey, what's a piece of advice from your past that continues to resonate with you today? What's something that, you, that, that, stuck, that stuck with you? Hmm. Good question. Yeah, I think my boss at my first job, um, you know, I used to work at a gym, I used to work at Crunch, and then I came into a clinic uh, during residency. And it seems really silly, but uh, no small talk, no, no, like water cooler talk. No, like, and that's why I, I to this day, I say like, this is always a place to build up and not tear down and, you know, just kind of keep moving forward. It's interesting. Uh, we just had, uh, my partner's Brazilian and we just had uh, dinner with her like 80 year old friend yesterday. And she was like, oh no, no, no. We have to eat food that we don't eat chicken. We don't eat frango. We don't eat pollo on this day. And she's like, we don't eat foods that push backwards. We only eat foods that go, go forward. So you can have fish, you can have ham, um, oh. but you can't have backwards food. So you, like we're backwards, you know, so it was very interesting. And I was like, what a great kind of thing to connect to. So uh, yeah, just kind of keep moving forward no matter, you know, what's going on in your life and, you know, try to keep as positive as you can, because, you know, I've been served it, man. And, and uh, if I should have my, you know, head between my legs somewhere rocking, but I'm like, how do we, how do we keep going forward? Yeah. I like that. All right. Third question on three questions. If you were to write a book outside of your professional field, what genre would it be and why? What's what's like your book jam? There's a lot of them behind you for the podcast. Yes, this is this is I'm in my partner's place. So we've got a lot of uh, graphic design and, and Marvel stuff behind me right now uh, and actually business books. Um, I would say, oof, um Honestly, I love books on emotion, on EQ, on emotional intelligence. So like anything Daniel Goleman, um, you know, I'm 
I'm there for it. I'm here for it. You know, how do we, I was not the smartest kid in class, but you know, here I am, you know, super proud to be one of our APTA spokespeople uh, for one more year coming up on my 10 year and they're kicking me out. Um, but I'm super happy to, you know, do a full cycle with them and um, yeah, how to talk to people, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to speak to President Obama the same way I'm going to talk to a janitor um, and just have the utmost respect for both of those human beings, um, you know, and not trying to get any secondary gain, just really enjoy people and and get to know them and, and what they're passionate about. And that's it. That's usually the path to best connection is when people don't smell like a, a sale. They're just like, you're just, you're connecting for connection's sake. Mm-hmm. Read yeah, email, I think as as a species, and we could, we don't. I used to work with broadcasters or people who were trying to be broadcasters. I turned bartenders or you know UPS delivery drivers into radio DJs, and I would say the minute the audience knows something's not right, they just reject everything. They they won't even be able to label it. They're just like, I don't know what it is. I don't like it. So that's what yeah, I, would, I would actually have them do this trick where to have them I'd have them remove one headphone because in in radio you wear these big headphones so you can hear the guests and you can hear yourself and the problem is that feedback loop from mic that makes you sound good to ear you keep going and get a little beefier and I'm like don't do that because the audience will be like I don't know what he's doing but he's trying too hard don't do it mm-hmm. yeah I I know everybody's name wherever I go so. Uh, train, if I'm on the same train time, uh, bar, restaurant, coffee shop. Hey, what's up, Gloria? Hey, what's up, Jimmy? What's going on, brother? And just keep it moving. Just humanize people. Because at the end of the day, if you got nothing, you got your name. And that's a, you know, obviously that's a yeah. Dale Carnegie thing. That's, but. that's a big deal. And it, it snaps people into attention. And even in, it actually even works even when you know someone's doing it, right? Because when you get emails that are written from a company, and it says, hey, first name, right? And they're doing with, with code. We know how it works. They do it with code and the email thing and whatever. I know how it works because I do it. But yeah. when I see it with my name, it does a thing and I like it. We yeah, like our name because it says I, you see me. You see me. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've, you know, was a junior partner one time and then I was on Medicaid at one time too. And I feel I've lost everything due to this accident. And it was just like, you know what, just feeling human is just so important. And I learned that as a patient, um, you know, when I was going through it um, after the car accident, cause I had to go through no fault. And for like three people came into a room, didn't even look at me and they just went to yeah. their back to me and just started typing on the computer. And I'm like, we've got to do things differently. So even when I teach, I make sure that, you know, cause we went through residency and you're supposed to go through some kind of like indoctrination and struggle and the DPT and all that. We all, we all suffered, suffer fest, right? With the cyclists, they call it suffer fest. You kind of go through that as a, as a medical professional. Um, but for me, I'm like, I'm over it. We've all went through that. We're here cause we want to be here and we want to learn or we want to do whatever we're doing. And so I really make sure I create psychologically safe environments for people who are learning and hanging with is there a movie or a book if you could if this wasn't on three questions i'm making this up but this is a good one i think for you if you have the power to wave a magic wand and put one book in the syllabus of every pt program but they have to read it before school starts or watch a movie so i'll give an example i would make all of them watch patch adams mm-hmm. is there is there something that comes to mind because you just said like you would write a book about eq which i think isn't in our profession but you, you, you that skill is invaluable so is there a book or a movie that you'd be like every pt student should have this experience because what you just talked about was looking at things from the patient perspective because that's sort of why we're here right mm-hmm. Ooh, uh down to one thing i don't know quick answer if i have to quick fire and i think in threes uh i'm gonna go with they've got to read dale carnegie you know straight out the gate pre-PT school. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these things are from my junior partnership. You know, they're like, I was like, what is this? Nothing, this doesn't have to do with PT. It has everything to it do does. with PT. Um, so, you know, whether you're running a restaurant or you're running a clinic, that it's all business and it's all people. Yes. It's all human. Um, so I'm going to go with Dale Carnegie. Uh, I'm going to go with Daniel Goleman Focus. And then I'm going to go with, um, oh, I'm going to have to get back to you That's on the right. movie because I'm, now I'm like, Oh, but there's, there's definitely one. Me too, but have you read Chris Voss? Yes. Well, would, yes. What's your thoughts on that? Because you seem like someone who would have read it and... He's intense. He's intense. Yeah. Um, I, I let go of intensity in my life just because, you know, I've just learned so much from my own injury and had living day to day, you know, with different abilities. Um, but yeah, he's intense. I, I, I think anything with... He's intense. That's what I'm going to say. All right. All right. <laughs> I, I've met people so. who've liked him and then not liked him. It was sort of like people were on both ends. And the people who read him twice were like, I get it. They got it better the second time because they said this something similar. I won't say who said this to me, but it's a frequent guest. She was like, I don't like him at all. I, I can't believe you do. And I was like, really? And then she heard a few clips from him. And then she was like, got it. Because she said the first time she read it, she was like, I had to put it down. I didn't like him at all. 
Mm -hmm. It's funny how we can, as humans, we can read the same words and take different things, but that's sort of the great part about it is we read the same thing and we take different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I hear you. Yeah. I think Simon Sinek, we were third one. Oh yeah. So he lived in my neighborhood on the Upper West Side. That's amazing. I used to walk. I would have stalked him. Well, I would have been so, like, this guy gets coffee at eight. I'm there. So that was the problem is I ran into him at a coffee shop on like 72nd, like four times. But every time he was talking to someone and every time it looked very much like a fan interaction. And I just mm-hmm. couldn't bring myself to be that guy, but definitely wanted to. I was like, oh, my God. But maintain, of course, the New Yorker. I mean, like, maintain, don't even make eye. Who's that guy? I don't need to. Who's that? Is he someone famous? Um, but I definitely wanted to. But he, every time he looked very gracious, like he was probably in a conversation for too long and he long. needed he was probably like looking around like someone touching the nose get me out of here but he never did so i will give simon Sinek some credit on that one he was awesome all right last thing we do on the show jess is the yeah. parting shot this is the parting shot all right parting shot brought to you by our friends from the academy of orthopedic physical therapy with their uh current concepts of orthopedic pt it's a great resource for clinicians who are somewhere anywhere in their orthopedic journey and would like to get that OCS exam, maybe, or just want to level up their 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 orthopedic skills, find it online at orthopt.org. So Jess, your parting shot is your last chance. Mic drop moment, soapbox statement, whatever you'd want to leave with the audience. What do you got? Ooh, um, all right, parting shot, uh, PT Pinecast, here we go. So um, no matter where you are in your profession, um, if you're a new grad, if you're a more seasoned grad, um, if you're a little feeling a little burnt out or you're super stoked to be a part of the profession, um, come over to the concussion side. I promise you, we're going to keep you busy. We're going to keep you excited. You know, you can be into cardiac. You can be like, um, oh God, who's our, who's our cardiac guy? Who's a, um, forgot his name, Rich. If you want to be like Rich Severin, you can come on over. If you want to go into exercise prescription, if you want to go into sleep, if you want to talk about sex, if you want to talk about, um, exercise prescription, uh, neuro, vestibular, ortho, it's all there for you. Um, So come on over and let us kind of like excite you or re-excite you and reinvigorate you to know that like, hey, I can identify this injury, I can help coach someone back, or I can help rehabilitate them back, or I can get them back uh, and refer immediately to where they need to be because there may be like a neuroendocrine issue or um, an, an ocular motor issue that's more serious and things that need to be looked at. So um, it's a super exciting place to be. Um, come on over, come on over to the dark side, you know, gray and white matter. We make those jokes all the time in neuro, uh, and ortho and, uh, yeah, that's it. Come on over. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but where would you want people to go to connect with you? What's, what's the, what's the one spot? Yeah. Concussioncorner.org, um, is the place to come hang. Um, that's where the website is. I'm on social media, DPT to go or concussion corner. Um, they're all there. We're, I'm out there and, uh, yeah, happy to give your guys a, a discount code if you want to put that into the, Let's do it. Um, into the show notes. That's all good. Sounds good. Jess, appreciate, appreciate the time. Thanks for sharing not only what you do professionally, but you know, your personal story as well. I think that definitely draws people in because they want to see themselves and the people that are caring for them, or at least, at least understand that they understand them, right? That's what Oprah said. We want to be seen, heard, and understood. And I think that's important for people, which is why we're reading EQ books or watching Patch Adams, because in the beginning and the end, it's people. Absolutely. All right. Well, they say the best conversations happen at happy hour. Uh, thanks for coming to ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. 
The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.